Beddingfeld, disgruntled adventurers here. How often I'd sat in a sixpenny seat, thrilling to the perils of Pamela. How I wished that something exciting would happen to me. Now it had. I was trussed up like a Christmas goose, gagged and being bodily carted upstairs to an attic. Pamela had undergone a similar ordeal in episode three. Her audience, however, could be comfortably confident that Pamela would survive to episode four. But this wasn't the cinema, and there was no guarantee that I would. Artists Ensemble Theatre presents Mysterious Journey, Theatre for the Mind. From Agatha Christie, this is The Man in the Brown Suit, Part 7, The Train to Rhodesia. Oops-a-daisy. Bit of a hard land in that. Oh well, what's a few bruises between friends, eh? Why not just knock her on the head, take the boat, dump the body at sea? I stopped breathing. My thoughts exactly. She knows too much, but the Colonel has questions for her. He wants information of some kind. He wants diamonds, I thought. I'd hate to be here. The Colonel has ways of getting answers. Too right. Well, I'm off. You wait here for the Colonel. When's he due? Early tomorrow morning. Do I feed her? Why bother? I heard their footsteps descending the stairs. The important thing was what I didn't hear. They hadn't bothered to lock the door. How smug they were. So certain I was utterly helpless. Which, all right, I was. No matter how I twisted, I could not loosen the ropes binding me. As afternoon gave way to night, I gave way to despair. And for a moment, I wished I was back in Little Hampsley, where nothing ever happened. The house grew silent. The only light in the attic was from a dirty skylight. A shaft of moonlight caught on... Was that broken glass? Awkwardly, I rolled across the dusty attic floor, more or less in the right direction. It took ages, but I finally reached the bit of glass, wedged it against the wall, and managed to saw through the ropes binding my wrists. It was a clumsy business, and I nicked myself more than once, but finally my hands were free. I pulled off my gag and gulped in air. (sighs) Next, I severed the ropes at my ankles, rubbing my feet and ankles to restore feeling. Ow! Evidently, my captors wanted no trace of my presence in the villa, since they tossed my hat and handbag in with me. Grabbing both, I crept to the door. I was frantic to be well away before the colonel's arrival. I paused on every step, freezing at the smallest sound until I'd escaped the villa. Fearfully, I scuttled to the railway station, keeping to the shadows where I could. hid in the cloakroom until the first train to Cape Town was departing. Once aboard, I pondered my next step. Colonel Race had told Suzanne about a crime ring run by a man known only as the Colonel. And the Colonel, whoever he was, was after the diamonds that Suzanne and I had discovered. And those diamonds were connected, somehow, to the De Beers robbery at Kimberley eight years ago. I needed to talk this over with Suzanne. After arriving in Cape Town, I boarded a tram headed for the hotel. Once seated, I dug out my compact and shuddered at my reflection. I was fearfully dusty and rumpled. Then, 
In the tiny mirror, I glimpsed a man with a shock of red hair that was very nearly orange. I was being followed by one of my captors. I hopped off the tram at the next stop. He stayed aboard, but a block later, he descended and began to stroll casually in my direction. I chanted to myself, I'm safe, I'm safe, it's broad daylight in the middle of a large city. Still, I felt sick and dizzy. I realised I'd eaten nothing since luncheon yesterday. Glaring at my follower, who had the impudence to tip his hat, I ducked into a small cafe. May I help you, miss? Yes, please. A sandwich and a cup of tea? Right away. I chose a table where I could see outside while I ate. I watched the red-headed man speak to someone. Dear Lord, he was talking to Guy Paget. Getting his orders, no doubt. As I watched, Mr. Paget consulted his watch. What time was it? Behind the counter, there was a clock on the wall. I beg your pardon? Yes, miss. Is that the correct time? That's right. It was later than I guessed. Suzanne wouldn't be at the hotel. Oh, why was there never a policeman around when you... Oh, there was a constable just across the road. He was listening intently to the red-headed man, who seemed terribly excited. As I watched, the red-headed man pointed straight at me. In a flash, I realised I was being accused of a crime. Will there be anything else, miss? Check, please. I opened my bag and froze. Inside was a man's wallet, stuffed with bills. No idea when or how it was planted, but it was proof of my guilt. I paid my bill, thinking furiously. Suzanne, along with every wealthy, influential person I knew, was in Sir Eustace Peddler's private train car at this very moment, about to depart for Rhodesia. Excuse me, how far away is the railway station? Oh, you're nearly there. Turn right, uh, go two blocks, you can't miss it. Let's hope not. As I walked outside, the policeman began to cross the road. Immediately I bolted, running for all I was worth. You there, stop! I barreled into the train station, with footsteps pounding behind me. A quick glance revealed the red-headed man, now with a red face to match. As I passed a porter, loaded with luggage, I shoved him mercilessly into the path of my pursuer. Luggage crashed down, and so did the red-headed man. The 11 o'clock train was just pulling out. With a tremendous leap, I landed on the footboard of the lost train car, flung open the gate, and climbed aboard. As the train passed the end of the platform, I spotted a familiar figure gaping open-mouthed at me. I waved merrily at him. Goodbye, Mr. Paget. See here, miss. You can't just... I'm a guest of Sir Eustace Peddler. Kindly conduct me to him at once. We encountered Suzanne and Colonel Race on the rear observation platform of Sir Eustace's car. Gypsy girl? Miss Beddingfeld. We thought you were off to Durban. What a very unexpected girl you are. She ain't got no ticket. Uh, don't be ridiculous. Of course she has. Or if she hasn't, it will be taken care of. Go away. Thank you, Suzanne. I should greet my host. Where is Sir Eustace? In his office, dictating at a furious rate to the unfortunate Miss Pettigrew. Who? His new secretary, darling. Oh, you missed all the excitement. It seems the infamous man in the brown suit was actually aboard our ship. With every port being watched, he 
somehow bamboozled Sir Eustace into bringing him out of England as his private secretary. Mr. Paget. Uh, no, darling, the other one. Fellow calling himself Rayburn. I see. How did Sir Eustace take the news? As a personal affront. To top it off, Mr. Paget is remaining in Cape Town to assist the police in their search for Rayburn. Meanwhile, Paget hired Miss Pettigrew to fill in until he rejoins us. What's she like? Repellent. Forty if she's a day, spectacles very large feet. <laughs> Poor Sir Eustace. I should say hello. I'll go with you. All right, we're alone. Tell me everything. What have you been doing? Having adventures. Good heavens, look at this place. Isn't it divine? This is the way to travel. That door leads to the office. You replied your letter of the 14th concerning the import bill. Well, please, so useless, a little slower. Oh, bless my soul. If it isn't Miss Beddingfield. Who did you say? Quiet, Pedro. Start typing. I shall leave that memorandum in triplicate. Well, but I don't... My dear child, what an unexpected surprise. Well, at the last minute, I decided to accept your kind invitation. My what? At the masquerade. You invited us all to accompany you to Rhodesia. Did I really? How magnanimous of me. Oh, I do hope there's room for one more. Oodles of room. You'll bunk with me. Come, I'll show you. Dear diary... First, a perfectly strange woman has the impertinence to get herself murdered in my house. On purpose to annoy me, I feel certain. And, if that's not enough, the chap who murdered her then has the colossal impudence to attach himself to me as my secretary. Naturally, everyone blames me when I am in fact the victim. I'm fed up with secretaries. Either they're concealed murderers or drunken brawlers like Paget or hatchet-faced harpies like this ghastly pedigree woman. On the whole, Rayburn was the best of the bunch. At least he didn't plague me. In other news, Anne Beddingfeld has joined our party. Evidently, I invited any number of people. Charming girl, but exceedingly mysterious. Suzanne and I talked half the night. You have all the luck. Why does no one abduct me? Oh, you wouldn't like it at all. It's only thrilling afterwards, in the retelling. I'm afraid you must have been frantic when I disappeared. Oh, I was. Until I got your message. Oh, it wasn't from you, was it? No. They really do think of everything. Suzanne, do you think Mr. Paget could be the mysterious colonel? That fussy little man? Could be clever camouflage for a powerful criminal. Who would suspect? You, evidently. I suspect everyone. How did Sir Eustace make his money? Do you know? He prefers not to speak of it. My pet theory is that he made his fortune selling miracle hair restorer. <laughs> he wouldn't want that known. Suzanne, I hate to impose. Oh, darling, what is it? I've got only the clothes on my back and I've been in them since yesterday. <gasps> Gypsy girl! This proves that I'm right. Clarence is forever insisting that I overpack. But really, one never knows what one will need. Fortunately, I've got all my trunks aboard. I shall outfit you head to toe. Sometime later. That was the most fun I've had in ages. Oh, I can never thank you Don't. Enough. Besides, you've given me the perfect excuse to replenish my entire wardrobe next time I'm in Paris. I feel rather like Cinderella. Do you? I adore playing fairy godmother. When I'm not playing Watson. 
Speaking as Watson, what next, Holmes? I've decided to cable Lord Nasby and write a story for the Daily Clarion. It won't hurt Harry. He's well away by now and has already been identified as the man in the brown suit. Through no fault of mine. And being a journalist will give you an excellent excuse to poke about. Dear Diary, on a trip that was not meant to include any females, I am now saddled with three. If you count Miss Pettigrew, which is open to debate. Sir Eustace, I am right here. Quiet. Where was I? Uh, naturally, race ended up with the good-looking women and left me saddled with pedigree. Really, Sir Eustace? Hush. By all rights, I should change the paperwork from Sir Eustace Peddler and Company to Colonel Race and Harem. This morning, I discovered the three of them lounging on the observation platform as we wound our way through the Hex River Valley and began our ascent into the mountains. <laughs> Look at that vista. Isn't it spectacular? So long as one doesn't look down at the appalling drop. Is this the only train of the day to Rhodesia? <laughs> of the day. There are only three trains a week. Mondays, Wednesdays and Saturdays. We won't reach Victoria Falls until Saturday. How well we shall know each other by then. How long do you plan to stay at the falls, Sir Eustace? Not entirely sure. Uh, my original idea was to stay a day or two at the falls, then on to Johannesburg. I, too, am heading to Johannesburg. Perhaps we might travel together? Uh, possibly. As I said, my plans aren't fixed. Dear diary, Thursday. We've just left Kimberley. Naturally, the ladies begged race to tell that diamond tale all over again. They hung on every word. Here's news. Anne Bedingfield is a newspaper correspondent. Apparently, she's on the track of the man in the brown suit. She's been firing off lengthy cables all about my voyage with a murderer. Huh, extraordinary girl. Clever, though. Somehow, she's ferreted out the identity of the woman who was killed. Some Russian dancer called Natasha. No, that's wrong. Nadina. Tomorrow, we travel through Betuanaland. At every stop, smiling children will appear selling quaint wooden animals that they have carved themselves. There is a whimsical charm to these toys that I fear will appeal strongly to Mrs. Blair. Friday. As I feared, Mrs. Blair and Anne have bought 49 wooden animals. My career as a newspaper woman was off to a smashing start. Lord Nasby cabled his personal congratulations. I was now officially on the staff of the Daily Clarion and assigned to hunt down a murderer. Meanwhile, I thoroughly enjoyed my journey to Rhodesia. During the final stretch through Bechuanaland, Suzanne and I were enchanted by the charming wooden animals being sold by children at every stop. Look at this cunning little elephant. How oh, adorable. Oh, here's a lioness with her cubs. I shall start a collection. And there are only two tiki's. Colonel Race, what's a tiki in English money? Uh, about threepence. Oh, that's it. I am buying the lot. Not the giraffe. He's mine. Anne, be practical. The giraffe is enormous. I don't care. Look at his comical face. How could I resist? Willpower? Don't listen to him. Oh, look at the hippo. No, don't look. He's mine. 
It's true. Suzanne and I completely lost our heads. Colonel Race and Sir Eustace tried to restrain us, but in vain. The next day, I found myself alone with Colonel Race on the observation platform while Suzanne was giving herself a facial. What are you really doing here, Anne Bedingfeld? Well, haven't you heard? I'm a gypsy seeing the world. But that's not all, is it? What are you really doing here, Colonel Race? Attempting to flirt with a pretty girl. Oh, <laughs> I, I'm afraid I don't... Uh... I've embarrassed you. No, well, a bit. Mostly I'm tremendously flattered. But? I, there's someone... Someone else? No, well, yes. Not really, but in a way... Someone you met on the ship. I don't know why you should assume. I'm right, aren't I? Perhaps. I see. What do you see? What I need to do. Going back inside. Yes. Too much sun. Honestly, this man unnerved me. I'd learned nothing about him in that exchange, and he'd gleaned far too much about me. By the time we reached Bulawayo, the Eustace had become terribly miffed over our toy animals, particularly my big giraffe. I'll admit, carrying 49 wooden animals, all of awkward shape and all made of extremely brittle wood, is tricky. At first, we had the porters cart them, but one promptly dropped an ostrich and broke off its head. That does it. Anne and I will carry as many as we can. Colonel Race. Yes, I see where this is going. Very well, load me up. That's the spirit. Sir Eustace, could you manage the giraffe? Oh, I, I don't think... I'd be so grateful. You know, I couldn't trust him to just anyone. Yes, but I... Here, just cradle him gently. Oh, you're such a dear to do this for me. Yoo-hoo, Miss Pettigrew. Absolutely not. Buck up, Pettigrew. If I've got to act as pack mule, so do but you. But Sir Eustace... It would be a tremendous help if you could carry the hippopotamus. Now see here. Here. Plus the orangutan, the zebra, and the crocodile. Perfect. That's the lot. For some reason, Miss Pettigrew disliked me. Or at least did her best to avoid me. Heaven knows why. I'd scarcely laid eyes on the woman, so Eustace kept her buried under a mountain of correspondence. There was no road from the train to the hotel. Instead, we trudged up a steep path, carrying 49 wooden animals. <sighs> Look up ahead. See that white mist? That's the spray from the falls. Once we reached the hotel, I went straight through the lobby and out onto a veranda with a spectacular view of the falls. The falls were... Overwhelming. Stunning. Majestic. No, no, it's no good. Every word that came to mind was completely and utterly inadequate. And you look positively giddy. Do I? I just love it. Every bit of it since my first glimpse of Cape Town. Oh, I agree, but it's more than that. Suzanne, I've got this feeling that something's about to happen. Oh, now you're making me nervous. Anne... About the diamonds. What about them? I'm not sure they're safe with me, now that everyone knows we're friends. But no one would guess they're in a film canister. You've got dozens of them rattling about in your camera bag. It's a splendid hiding place. Perhaps. After tea, we crossed the bridge to the falls. There was a path marked by white stones on each side that led round the edge of the Potoka Gorge. It's splendid, but I'm getting soaked. I'm going back. 
I shall escort you, dear lady. I've had quite enough exercise for one day. This path leads to the Rainbow Forest. What do you say, Anne? <laughs> uh, perhaps tomorrow. All right. I admit it. I was avoiding Colonel Race. That night, I couldn't sleep. That odd premonition of mine persisted. I didn't undress. Just waited for whatever was coming. Message for you, miss. Thank you. It was a handwritten note. I must see you tonight. I can't be seen at the hotel. Can you meet me at the clearing by the bridge? 11 o'clock. Please come. Harry Rayburn. He was here. I crept quietly down the hall, pausing at Sir Eustace's sitting room. Read that back. Of course, Sir Eustace. I therefore venture to suggest that in addressing this problem, it might well be advised. I slipped out of the hotel and crossed the bridge. There was no moon, but the white stones bordering the path were easy to follow. I'd scarcely taken two steps when I heard a rustling behind me. Suddenly, without rhyme or reason, I knew I was in frightful danger. Behind me, a shadowy man emerged from the dark. I leapt forward and ran for my life. Footsteps pounded behind me. I strained my eyes to follow the white stones marking the path. Abruptly, the ground fell away beneath my feet, and I plummeted. it! The Man in the Brown Suit was adapted from Agatha Christie's novel. Part 8, On the Island, is next. The cast features Sarah Waddle as Anne, with Stephen F. Fertle, Margaret Rather, Philip Masterton, and David A. Gingrich. When stages around the world went dark, Artists Ensemble Theatre began producing theatre for the mind. If you can, please consider donating to AET or become a patron by pledging monthly. Learn more at artistsensemble.org. And as always, thank you for listening.